Yeah, welcome to Foot Guns Podcast. First year anniversary spectacular. And if you've been here for forever with us, then back in the studio for the first time in a gazillion years is the retail voice of Foot Guns, which is Billy. Say hi, Billy. Hello, hello. Good to be back. And um, let's see, how uh, 69K is joining us from exotic Croatia. Havar Dubrovnik. Split. Split. Okay. So, yeah, I wrote a paper on that Diocletian's Palace at Split. If you get a chance to go by there, I wrote a paper on that in college. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'll have to read the paper. <laughs> yeah. And go to the place. I mean, it's an amazing palace. Like if you look at that, I mean, at least the reconstruction. I think there's some ruins or something. But uh, so this is the first anniversary podcast, and I turn it over to Wasabi because he's the real host now. <laughs> What's going on, everyone? We are talking about the first anniversary. We're going to do kind of like a, a retrospective of uh, what we learned in the, in the past year and what's happening uh, in the year ahead. What are our goals and ambitions for foot guns in, in the year number two? But I, w- I want to start with this. I'm looking at a tweet here, June inflation expectations. The number comes out tomorrow morning. BNP Paribas, 8.9%. Citigroup, 89 Down to Visa at 8.6%. What is the Bank of Boomer? number what's the whisper number for tomorrow i don't i don't care i think the big the big thing is is that it's the rate of change and i think that it's sort of damned if you do damned if you don't so like let's imagine a world where inflation has dropped rapidly and um we know energy prices are at least 20 30 percent lower than the last time um and and then all of a sudden everybody goes well Wow, inflation is coming down. That means a recession is imminent, right? There's an initial sugar rally rush of, hey, the Fed doesn't have to raise interest rates. And everybody goes, wait, 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 wait a minute. Inflation is a sign of growth, right? Growth that's bottlenecked. And so I think that 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 the market's in a bad mood. I mean, Pepsi reported, listen to Pepsi. I think everybody in the world listened to Pepsi earnings call. This has probably been the most hotly anticipated. This is the most anticipated recession and probably the most hotly anticipated earnings session that I've ever certainly seen. And so everybody was on the Pepsi earnings call. They they introduced the fact that they're going to put alcohol in Mountain Dew, which basically for Southerners, that means you can get diabetes alcoholism in the same place. So that's a one-stop shop. Uh, but they guided higher, and they beat earnings on the top line and the, the bottom line. The market initial reaction was, as you expect, to be very positive. And then midday... Some FOMC person starts speaking at 1230 and we're down 1% on on ES. So the markets were all over the place. And I think everybody was thinking the same thing, which was, wow, this is great. We've got a consumer staple in the form of Pepsi, which is guiding higher. They're not coming up with a lot of excuses surrounding the dollar. And they're not talking a bunch about contraction, but that, you know, it's just one company reporting earnings. So let, we're not going to go hog wild and buy Amazon and Apple and Tesla and all those other companies. So that's that's what explains the price action today. And I think that's exactly what you'll see around CPI. It's sort of this dual interpretation of, I mean, we're, we went through a year in 2021 where the market couldn't find anything wrong with the news. And now we're, we're sort of struggling to find anything right. And I've asked Billy... You know, is there anything any of these CEOs can say during an earnings call that would really force the market to go higher? I mean, I feel like everyone's just going to be reading for 
um, signs of, um, you know, weakness. And so every little nitpick is going to be viewed as a sign of, of weakness and potential. It's going to be a roller coaster earnings season. And so long answer to your question on CPI, I apologize for the rambling response, but, but I think it's, it's like, <laughs> you know, the market's in a bad mood. And, and if you sort of game it out in your mind, I don't think there's a number that causes a sell-off or causes a rally. It's just going to sell off. So you're saying the rate of change is important. So, okay, previous month was 8.3, and this is uh, then before that is 8.3, or two months ago, 8.3, then 8.6. So you're saying like if it's uh, below 9, that's good, or it's going to sell off regardless? People are just pessimistic? Yeah, I, th- I think I think what I was thinking about would be a, a real steep drop in in the number like let's say we get in the sevens or something like that is that evidence of fed hype at interest rate hikes working or is that evidence of a slowing economy because inflation remember is just growth with problems and the biggest thing that everybody's worried about right now is a contraction there's no growth right so if you get if you were to get an unusually low reading of cpi i think people would go awesome and it'd be a big sort of, you know, 100 point rally up. And they go, wait a minute. And then sell off. Which is the exact case study that we saw with Pepsi today. Yeah. Which was, yeah. hey, this is great news. We're expecting 10% growth. S&P goes up 10 points and then finishes the day down. It's yeah. like, we're happy, but not happy enough. Right, right, exactly. So it's sort of a damn if you do, damn if you don't. And I think that that's going to, that's been the pattern now for the first half. And it'll stop being a pattern at some point, but you got to trade it. Um, you know, you trade what's working until it stops working. And so right now, what is working? Selling the rips. Until that stops working, don't stop doing it. So when we were chatting earlier today, you mentioned that you are balls deep in some trades uh, with leverage going into this uh, print tomorrow. So would you care to uh, share any of your positioning here? Yeah, no, we're out of them. I mean, it was relatively short-term swing trade stuff, but I mean, we we had a distinct view of vision of what Pepsi was going to do and what some commodities were going to do, and so we were, you know, just enjoying the fruits of that. Um, but I, we're neutral. I think I I don't think you can. I don't know who could trade success. I don't know anybody can point to like this level on the S and P. Uh, who's an e-mini, you know, futures trader or a global macro trader points at this or that level on the S and P and be like, I like this level here at thirty eight or thirty. What is it? Thirty eight. Yeah, thirty eight oh four seven five was a low today, and I want to be long there because we're going to forty one hundred or something like that. So I think you're going to see these these really. It's a great time to be a very. You need to shorten the. It's just like going on. We talked about in the private podcast and crypto. You need to shorten the interval, right? And don't trust anything. So if you get a 5.5% jump in Bitcoin, take it. If you get, you know, a 5% jump in uh, ES on a, well, you can get that on a day, but if you get a 1% rally in ES, take it. If it comes at the end, you know, just the beginning of the session, the first 10 minutes, take it. If it comes at the end of the day, great. But I don't think people are holding on. Like, I, I, I just think there's a lot of stuff sitting on the sidelines. But since this is a crypto podcast, I think it, the implications in crypto are 
In other words, S&P is the same as crypto. Right now, you can do a lot of good trading in Bitcoin, bouncing off, you know, 19, going up to 20 or whatever. But if you're trying to buy for 19, thinking it's going to go to 30 by the end of the month, I think you're going to be disappointed. Yeah, it's been really hard for me to get any confidence. And uh, I mean, as much as I'm like, okay, this could be some some opportunity and like, let's call it the next quarter, two quarters to buy, you know, some cheap Bitcoin. It's really hard to just be like, okay, I'm just going to put a position on here and forget about it for a while. It's just, I don't know. It, um, it seems like the market just wants to be, like you said, like sort of upset about everything. Um, yeah, you, you may not have heard this, but last night, um, or I guess last night in my time, like afternoon in uh, American time, um, the, CZ, CEO of Binance, tweeted saying, um, our risk team just found an exploit on Uniswap V3 and, um, you know, the the tokens aren't safe, which if this had actually played out, um, that would have been a really big deal because, you, you know, Uniswap is not only one of the oldest and, and most profound DeFi protocols, but there's, you know, billions of dollars of liquidity and that liquidity is, you know, uh, providing a chance for people to swap in and out of tokens. And so, um, yeah, I mean, there was, there was quite a bit of a scare last night and, um, maybe, maybe one of the few times in, um, Bitcoin news where something came out and then all of a sudden it started selling off. Um, and then it ended up being, uh, not true. There was a, there was a phishing attack where, where a couple of people had gotten exploited, but it wasn't, there was nothing wrong with the protocol yet um everything just kept selling off um uh sort of ironically the one thing that did the best um yesterday and today is the uni token itself (laughs) but yeah i don't know i'm um i i've I've certainly learned that i need to be lowering my time frame right now and i mean even even on the short side too if if you want to try and take a short here like it just it's just volatile like like this morning um it went down and it stayed down for a few seconds and then it, it ripped back up almost to 20 K again. Yeah. And it's been hard for us with, um, you know, trading oil is usually just having these, I mean, today it was a seven point seven dollar move and that would have been an entire week, uh, for the last 10 years. So I, I, you have to short, shorten your size and shorten your time frame, and just step aside if you're not feeling feeling it like the, the, just just there's nothing wrong with cash despite you know i mean one of the things i've noticed a lot uh the word the use of the word fiat has dropped significantly with the crash of crypto <laughs> like you know people sort of um dunking on quote unquote fiat as trash um i think has dropped dramatically from what i've seen sort of around twitter and that you know whole feds printing money endlessly bitcoin is the only thing that's ever going to survive thing haven't seen a whole lot of that recently so i i just think it's a it's a short-term trading game if you're not feeling it um and you don't want to play for a five percent move in ethereum or bitcoin and and all that kind of stuff then you shouldn't be really being in this market if you believe bitcoin is going to go to a hundred thousand dollars buy it at fuck private an all to Wait for it to go to sixty-seven k. I know it's in, it's really hard to do, um, but if it's anything like it was this time last summer, I mean, it went back down to its all-time low, and then what? We went to thirty and forty like eight times, and um, so 
if you know how to, if you like volatility, if you know how to trade volatility, trade this market. But I don't think any, that's the whole point of foot guns. And it's why we're here on our first year anniversary was we're just, no one, no one can, no one can tell you, no one can predict the future, but it's possibly to, in a systematic way, react to the present. And so we started this with the idea that we'd be the one voice out there that um, was just showing, you know, you can do whatever you want with your crypto bucks, but we'll show you some places that look juicy to us. And we'll show you some places as important, the foot guns. And so that's a term that comes from software where you shoot yourself in the foot, right? So we'll show you sort of not how to shoot yourself in the foot. I think over the last year we've done a pretty good damn good job of that i mean i was screaming short vc short big tech last summer and every podcast that we did uh that happened um told we discussed inflation before it became when it was still transitory in the words of the fed and said no this is real get long gasoline or oil um and we were very suspicious about the stock market and um so i think i think i think you know our track record at the year in is if you traded if you use this for more than just a crypto platform and and traded traded with our recommendations and you've done well i i, I think we you know pat on the back time not 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 yeah not yeah pop, i mean bottles of champagne but pat on the back yeah, we also, I mean, I think uh, pretty challenging in the midst of, um, you know, the bull run to try and lead people towards the tokens that were going up the most. And then also, you know, if you're in our, our Discord, um, you know, we were talking about, I mean, I think the first one was like ICE, which I called it a dollar and we were, you know, talking at, I mean, a- almost the exact top on November 7th. If you go look in our Discord and scroll through um the conversations that were going on on November 7th, like, you know, we were talking about how it looked a bit toppy and um, this was for ice time. And um, what's the other one? Luna. And, and then even, um, even when Luna caught that, that rally afterwards, um, I mean, you know, I, I didn't know the thing was going to implode in, in a single day. Um, but certainly we were, we were sending out signs that it, it was looking a yeah, bit but toppy. You, identif- um, you identified it at six as a long, and so you're you deserve whatever you get if you held it from six to a hundred, in my view. Right, like, right, yeah, exactly. Like, come on, I mean, you know, that that's one of the things that I find is weird and distorted about crypto. And Wasabi, this goes all the way back to you and asking me about what you thought about any advice for DeFi people, and I was like, take profits, convert yourself into dollars, and um, the expectations. It feels like because these are people's not yellow bucks, but YOLO bucks. Um, because these, this is the, ri- the the risk capital for a lot of people, although unfortunately, I think for lower income folks, they kind of went into crypto thinking this is a magic bullet, almost lottery tickets off. Um, but, you know, the, uh, the expectations are almost option trader-like in that, you know, nine out of 10 year trades are going to lose, but that 10th one is going to be the one that carries you and, into a new new status of wealth, right? If you can just get the next Dogecoin, if you can find the next whatever, and it's been the endless search of we talked about a hundred times, 
about the search for the next Bitcoin, and yet Bitcoin remains Bitcoin and still rules the universe. So a trade I entered today, uh, and I'm curious to, to get your take on this, Boomer. I know you're not a fan of the uh, leveraged ETFs, but I bought some short-term options on a leveraged VIX call ETF after I saw a bunch of flow into the options, um, like the late July options for those. And that's just basically like a one or two day trade off this uh, off this inflation number, just making a bet that volatility will be elevated one way or the other. Yeah, the problem with that is it's not true volatility, right? And Hal and I talked a lot about this on the private pod about the frustration around the VIX. And so VIX is an index is a measure of implied volatility. So how much fear is out there put buying essentially. If it was truly volatility, if you wanted to put on a true, if you wanted to really get long volatility or uh, sell volatility, then you would do straddles on the, the S&P. So you'd be sort of like, you know, selling stuff. I don't, I don't, again, I've, in my career, I've, I've made money on the underlying where I've had options like 10 out of 10 times and lost money on options 10 out of 10 times. And 10, 10 losses in a row on one asset is enough for me. So I, I'm just not your options guy, but I, I do think it's important. That's why the VIX ETF is, can be a little bit, because it's got, you know, it's, you're buying the futures, which are tied to an index. And um, that index measures implied volatility. So it's like a, it's an index of option volatility as opposed to just being actual volatility in the market. Yeah, you're basically buying the put call ratio, right? I mean, so you're yeah. so if if a if a shitload of people put on puts tomorrow, then you'll win, and and you know relative to calls, and and otherwise, um, no. probably not. And yeah, and I don't know. That's a, that's the one thing about those ETFs that I I have trouble with too is just you know the the layers of of complexity down to the thing that that you're buying. But uh, you know that being said, um, you know if if everybody decides to put on a lot of puts tomorrow, then, then you'll win. Yeah. And so I, I just think that's, that's the only thing I would mention is that if your if your vision for volatility, uh, is that, that, that you, you think there's something that's going to happen. You just don't know whether it's the upside or the downside, but you, which is a weird thing to predict, right? Like there's going to be a big move. I just don't know which way. Um, then you do, I think out of the money, calls or out of the money puts on each side and sell one by, I don't know, whatever straddle call caller. I've always lost. Yeah. I was actually, options. I was trying to think of, uh, I mean, you could like, so say, say you believe that Bitcoin will go like, you know, okay. I think Bitcoin will go 5% one direction tomorrow, but I don't know which um, there's this, you know, this protocol GMX where you can get 30 X leverage. And I was just thinking, Oh, you could, you could try and do the same thing with that, but you, you know, you would get screwed if it doesn't go, outside of one percent uh, but yeah you could basically just put on equal weighted 30x leverage long and 30x leverage short and if it you know if it moves five percent in one direction then you would you would make a bunch of money because you're you know you'd lose money on one of the positions but then you would you know make um four yeah. x straddle or whatever it's a straddle that's what it's called right yeah. no the federal government has granted me a license to advise people on options but i don't know anything about them Speaking of GMX, how I want to get your take. Are you long any uh, GMX? Coins I am. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm holding the token. I mean, I think you know, like what Boomer said earlier. Everyone just sort of like hates everything right now, and it's all going down. Um, this the, is the one exception. 
Yeah, yeah. The the thing I like about it is it's just like I don't know. People were talking about like DeFi 2.0, DeFi whatever, Web three. I think I think GMX is like actually fitting that category where it's it's a crypto protocol that has a user experience that isn't shit, and uh, you know it's it's pretty easy to use, um, pretty pretty nice to use, good experience. So uh, the you know the only thing really that it's lacking is you can't put stop losses on, um, which which would be really nice. Um, I mean, I don't use them all the time, but they're certainly nice in, in volatile um, circumstances with shorter time frames. Um, but yeah, I, um, it's 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 a very unique protocol. It's it's one of the few that I'm uh, remaining bullish on through this through this downturn. Though I would, you know, advise everyone to again reduce your time frames, reduce your your sizes. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a spot hold for me. Um, I think. I think whenever this thing turns around and and some life comes back into crypto, GMX will be one of the leaders. Yeah, and they have a pretty interesting um, uh, tokenomics where, like, I don't know, Boomer, if you listened to our last podcast with the, the M&A guys, they, you know, we had this discussion about the Uniswap fee switch and yeah. whether uni uh, holders are ever going to get a cut of those fees that the protocol is taking. Well, GMX is already light years ahead of that, right? And they have just by owning their token, you're getting 25% of the protocol fees. And they, um, it's a business model where they do, there's, you know, the, the users are quite willing to pay heavy fees to get to get like this 30x leverage in a DeFi kind of trading environment. So, you know, like we've seen a lot of user pushback against fees in DeFi, but GMX seems to be an exception to that. And then they've taken it to the point where you know, holding the token is giving you income from the protocol too. So it's like, you know, kind I mean, of like this promised land that that okay, DeFi all right, has I been building towards. Can I just can I just pull back for a second here? Because whenever I heard thirty times leverage, let's just let's just remember what that means, right? So you slap a dollar down in a trade, and it moves one percent in either direction. That's thirty percent to to you. Yeah, and so it's. You do see that kind of leverage in the treasuries and in currencies rarely, although most places won't let you exceed 20 times on currencies. But the idea is that the worst day a currency ever has is like 2%, not 5%, 10%, not, not crypto volatility, right? And not individual stock volatility. So just keep in mind whenever, I guess I wonder if the bull case for GMX is that they allow 30 times leverage, it's sort of like, um, I don't know, uh, buying op- manufacturers of opiates or something. I mean, well, it's users, actually, the, um, the users are going to die. Yeah. It's, it's more than that though, because, um, you can actually control the leverage from one to 30. So you could do 1.1, 1.2, 1.3. Yeah. All the way up to 30. So yeah, the, uh, in my mind, you will, kill all of the people that are, you know, abusing the leverage and then end up with some pretty smart traders um, that are left alive. Um, yeah. But yeah, hey, look, I mean, look, you're only over levered if you lose. I've literally never heard anyone say I just made a ton of money, but I was over levered. I've never heard that on in however many years I've been working in finance. I've never been there's somebody like, yeah, man, just made a million bucks. I was too levered, but yeah, you're only you're only over levered if you're wrong. And so, um, 
with a lack of directionality, I mean, I think your I think your instinct is right, Wasabi. I think that the one thing I would say is that things that get so anticipated, like CPI, things that people just, I mean, the financial media right now, it, it's it's just it's so depressing because. I mean, on Friday, we got a great jobs report, which is good for America. Like, let's go America. And the market rose a little bit and then sold off and and all this other stuff. And it's just, it's like, oh, well, jobs, you know, that's good news. That is good news. That's good news for everybody. And the market couldn't even go up. It was just like, what are we doing anymore? I mean, it, is the whole, is this dependency on the Fed which really began after the 0809 crisis with QE, and now we're in QT, so the reversal of that, which the experiment of that went on in 2018, and they had to end it quickly because it was so bad. That's been the real question that's lurking, that's keeping like big money on the sidelines, is that um, no one really understands the mechanics of this quantitative tightening shit. When you start dumping a bunch of mortgage-backed securities back onto the market, I mean... I don't know what, nobody really knows what happens. We know that it didn't work in 2018, right? So the the one thing that I would say to you, Wasabi, about trading a big event that's highly anticipated, it's almost, it feels like almost always, it's really hard, like everybody's anticipating so much, nobody does anything, or they've already traded it, or they've yeah. already, you know, that's, that's the one risk you run around event trading is that is that you get you get sort of some volatility intraday or whatever sell the news right yeah well the, so let me tell you my thought process the reason that caused me to enter into this trade was i saw a um headline that the white house some kind of like white house spokesperson has said that the inflation numbers are looking especially elevated and i noticed this i got this kind of alert right before the last reading where it was the upside surprise. So that leads me to believe that, you know, there's some kind of back channeling going on and we're going to get another upside surprise. So I think if, if it had just been general chatter about the inflation stuff, um, well, I probably so wouldn't, this. Whoever, wouldn't have done this. Whoever's saying that in the background at the White House uh, deserves to go to jail because that, that, that'd be like leaking a crude supply report or a employment report or a, you know, I don't know, a crops report or something like that. Like that, that, that is not helpful. And that person has committed a federal crime. So I, I think that, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know who would do that. Um, you know, who would put themselves in like, go to prison for that. But, you know, I, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't know. I mean, if the journalist is reliable, I just, if it's anonymously sourced, tracks back to the White House, there's just a lot of people, just remember the White House is not just the White House. It's the actual White House where all the like work is done is another building right across the street. So um, there's a lot of people who work there. And uh, I don't know. I just, it's hard for me to see Brian Dees, who's the Council of Economic Advisor guy. I know him personally. Like, it's hard for him to see me. Hard for me to see him com knowingly committing, like, you know, you can't leak government reports ahead of the time. Like, that's illegal. 
So I is, was, it, is it a never a case though of them just getting ahead of the news? Just like Apple would come out, you know, the day before their earnings release and be like, "Hey guys, this might be a little more exciting than you thought." I mean, I just looked it up. It looks like the White House press secretary was just trying to get out in front of things by saying that June CPI is already out of date due to commodities having gone down in price. Yeah, that's totally- that, that was the head of the comment. That, that, yeah, that's a total, totally different situation than, you know, I didn't know what you were talking about. Because if somebody's anonymously going out and being like, watch out for the CPI print, that would be a federal crime. If you're out there saying, you know, that the that you're trying to manage expectations around inflation, which is what any White House would do with a comment like that, then okay. But that would be imply energy, and that's not a part of the core CPI. What are people really worried about right now? I mean, what are they really looking at? Asset values of houses, right? Um, here, here, here's the quote. I just found the quote. Quote, we expect the headline number, which includes gas and food, to be highly elevated, because mainly because gas prices were so elevated in June, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said yep. to reporters. Yeah. So... I mean, it was an it was an official statement. It wasn't a background leak, but highly you. elevated, highly elevated. Yeah, I wouldn't read too much into highly elevated. I mean, I think that the the the, the point is that what the Biden administration is trying to do is is signal to anyone who will listen that they're taking inflation seriously, right? And that's what that comment means. It doesn't mean that they've seen a preview of the CPI. That would be not not appropriate at least, and possibly illegal is all I'm trying to say. So here again, even if you do have that comment, um, it's just, there's been so many times in, in my life, and I know how probably you too, where this thing that's so anticipated, whatever it is, whatever you think, you know, the market's trading on, the beliefs or whatever, it comes and it just, nothing happens. And so volatility bet falls short. That's all I'm trying to say is that people build stuff up in, in their, in their head so much. And um, I'm just, I'm just kind of pissed in general with the way the market's going right now. Not because it's going down because I, I had a short bias. I've repeated over and over on this podcast for a while now. And um, I'm pissed because like the, a good jobs report is good news. Like, when is that bad news? Well, the Fed's going to have to tighten more. I and mean, fuck, fuck off. Like, we need interest rates in the system. I mean, we need people to be good, honest, hardworking people to be able to put their money in a savings account and earn 5% interest, right? Um, we need higher interest rates. Higher interest rates prevent people from making bad decisions and lending. Um you know, if you're paying a 17% mortgage, you're going to be very careful about the house you buy, right? If you're paying nothing, then um, you're going to, you know, you're going to be or 2% below inflation. So they're paying you to buy the house, which is what occurred during the pandemic stimulus and the Fed's uh, buying of all those mortgage-backed securities where you're literally, you know, matched against inflation. They're paying your mortgage. That encourages irresponsible behavior. So it's time to just knock this shit off, raise the interest rates. We're going to avoid something, you know, Argentina's got 60% inflation right now. The number one task is to get inflation under control. Um, and they're probably going to cause a recession. It could be mild. It could be extended. 
while going into it. And that's sort of the number one, the number one thing you need to know about today's markets. But within that frame, there will be until you get to Apple earnings, which Apple rules the world, right? We, it's the end all be all for everyone. I mean, there were the time in 2010 when most oil traders were trading oil off of that movement of Apple price. And uh, until you get the, 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 mud, the granddaddy of all earnings, which is Apple, um, you're going to see wild gesticulations in response to earnings calls. And it's going to pay to be, if you, if you shorten your time frame, um, but increasingly, I don't know. I, I, there, there's a, there, there is usually these, 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 you know, you hear this bullshit on financial media where people are like the market hates uncertainty. When is it ever certain? Like it's always markets climb a wall of worry. There's always something that's really scary, but markets go up despite that because it's not coming true. Right. And, um, uh, that wall of worry was COVID and you had a supportive um, quantitative easing uh, free money thing going on. Uh, and I also think basically you look at, we were going in a recession in February of 2020 and we were overdue one. I mean, it'd been like 10 years or something since our last recession. And um, we basically, because of COVID, put a bandaid over that. Now we're paying the price. Um, so we're paying the bill for all the stimulus money that was coming in. Now I'm not a national debt hawk crazy person because as long as our, our debt is viewed as the most riskless, it's not debt if it's an asset on someone else's balance sheet that they want. Right. And um, so I'm not like saying that I'm just saying we did a, a, a weird a thing in response to a thing that turned out not to be quite the thing it was, meaning something that was going to kill like everyone. And um, we pumped a lot of money so that people could stay home. And we could slow the spread. That was the idea at the time. And now we got to pay the bill. And so Fed hikes interest rates. We got inflation. I do think we've seen peak in, peak inflation. Um, I think where you start to like, you know, it's good that oil is selling off. Um, but if oil sells off too much, that's copper. Watch copper. Copper is down another 5% today. HG is a symbol on the futures. If you're using trading view, that's high grade copper. That's finished copper. That's not the green stuff. And copper is viewed as the, the greatest barometer for global health. Now, for some reason, copper kind of went into this funk. All commodities went into this funk from 2016 to 2020 and it remained at lower, lower prices. But typically if you see copper move from pseudo all time high of $5 and something, and it's now down at $3 and 40 cents, maybe even lower than that. But when copper's trading below three, the last time copper traded below three, and we were in this sort of tightening, you know, shuffle the deck type thing was, um, you know, 2008, 2009. So keep your eye on high grade HG high grade copper because you need it for everything. If you're going to build, if 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 economic if real economic growth is taking place, copper being the most conductive, um, cheapest metal. I'm sure it's more conductive metal, but it's more expensive, like titanium or something. But you can't do anything without copper. So 
we're now down to that point where it, it's crashed. I mean, it's down maybe 40%. And um, I expect it to go lower. And good place of point of reference to buy the S&P is if you see copper bounce off three. And we've still got another, I don't know, 10% down to the downside of copper to get, to get there. I'm just, we got to my year-end target of 3650 We've already been there on the S&P. And I think there's a significant... I'm starting to think more and more. I went through this phase where this felt like a lot like 2010 when people were super negative and wouldn't get along the market. And I was just like, get along the market. Greece doesn't matter. It's the outstanding debt of Greece is smaller than the market cap of Volkswagen. Get, get on with it. And it was a raging bull market and most hedge funds missed out on it. And I kind of felt like we were headed to that this time. I mean... This is the most aware I've ever seen of anyone be of a financial crisis. You've got evidence in the streets that the froth has been kicked out of the market in the form of, of you know, the sell-off in crypto. So for everyone who's sitting around going, this market's frothy, just look at this crazy thing, Bitcoin that's trading up to 50000 um, But that's no longer the case, right? It hadn't gone to two, but it's it's kind of... You know, from its all-time high, it's gotten the tar kicked out of it in under a year. So it kind of feels like one of those moments where everybody's so certain. They're so certain of economic attraction that you almost want to be counter, you know, you want to be a contrarian. Uh, what do you think about that, Hal? I mean, you've been, you lived through that time period in, in the markets. You lived through 2010 and and the resulting time period and, and everybody was all... You know, is the euro going to survive? We're going to euro dollar parity. Well, we just went to euro dollar parity now, but that was after the euro went to one point four or one point five against the dollar in twenty twelve because of quantitative easing. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest difference is like crypto was nothing back then, right? So, um, you know, I mean, uh, obviously, you know, speaking with you <laughs> a lot back then. Um, I mean, I, I think the biggest difference, though, right now is that, um, like, you know, 2009, at least where I was, you know, in California, like, I mean, everything got the crap kicked out of it. Not just not just like markets, but like, you know, people were getting salaries cut. They were they were I mean, you know, I, I was going to University of California at the time and they, you know, fired half of the art department and half of the music department and half of the humanities department. Um, so, you know, nothing like that has happened now. So I, I think like, you know, after something like that happens, it's like, okay, well, you know, is there anywhere else to go, uh, but up and then, yeah. Uh, remembering that after all that happened, then, you know, started the financial crisis in Europe. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Um, Which wasn't a crisis. It turns out it wasn't a crisis. I, mean, right. I went long. Um, one of my best trades ever was going long Portuguese debt. And it was just like, the Portuguese are not going to default on their debt, people. If the Portuguese default on their debt, the United States is defaulted on their debt. I mean, there's no Portuguese debt crisis coming here, folks. I mean, I get that Greece was over-levered and needed to restructure and all that kind of stuff. But Portugal, uh, come on. I mean, get real. And I mean, it was trading at a significant discount to its to its eventual value and then it went over right like it it's it became worth more more than par so um but yeah so i mean if you think about it right like bitcoin has literally only existed in that 
raging bull market, right, from 2010. I mean, you know, it was created a bit earlier than that, but it, it didn't start actually, you know, gaining a dollar value really until 2010. And from there until today, it's just pretty much gone up along with the market. So, um, yeah, I I think this is a, as a definitely a new temporary regime for crypto. Um uh, the the one thing that's coming to my mind though is like all of the other Bitcoin sell-offs besides this one have really been about Bitcoin itself, right? Like um, in in 2013 and 14, there was um, like you know the exchanges that were blowing up, um, you know some some actual like loss of faith in Bitcoin working as a currency, and then the same was true for um, 2018 where you know, there's these um, hard forks, and uh, you know the the big the big sell off that happened from six thousand down to three thousand. I mean, people thought like Bitcoin was just like dead, dead, and in a different way than than now when people are like, oh, the price is down, it's it's dead. Like that, people were actually questioning the technology itself. Um, so I I think that's um, I don't know. I guess maybe makes me like more long-term bullish guess, for Bitcoin that it's yeah. just like sort of acting like a financial asset now and not, not being questioned by people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. But I, I guess my question is, is like if you're a pension fund manager or something and you know, you, you majority of the time is spending um, accumulating or rebalancing re a portfolio comprised of fixed income and, and equities, GM and Ford or something is trading five times PE forward. I mean, that's so cheap. What, what, what are you going to be happy with? Three times? Two times? I mean, I get the idea. The idea is it's actually not five times. I mean, something in my private equity past, we'd look at it every deal. We'd be like, well, it's a pretty good multiple, like, you know, four or five times EBITDA. And then we'd say, well, but the EBITDA could go down and then it would be an eight multiple. And that's something you tease out during due diligence, blah, blah, blah. But the point being like, one thing I can't understand is there are people who are long only managers, right? Mutual funds are forced to be long only and these long only pension fund people, if they're not buying like Google after it's down 33% for a, you know, long-term hold, I, I don't, what are they, what are they looking for? I, I, that's what, and to me, there could be, I really do believe, and I've said it before that, this coincidence, this happy coincidence that we have a big, massive bull run in every 20s going back to the 1620s, and that turns out to be unsustainable, is not a coincidence. The only question is, and we talked a lot about this on the podcast, I was like, man, if you're looking for evidence of, of a top, there's a billionaire space race going on. Like a fucking billionaire space race. If that isn't the sort of thing that makes you go, wow, there's billionaires going into space and they're racing. Um, then and there's a there's a you know picture with the dog coin thing. Uh, if that isn't the peak speculation, I don't know what is. But on the other hand, we're just getting started in the twenties. I mean, it's twenty twenty two, and so. I just think there's there's two two things two there's two things I just I've never felt less certain about anything than I do right now. I went and listened to a private podcast between you and me how where I was talking about 
in May. It was May the 6th. And I said, I have never seen more good trading setups in my entire career combined than I have over the last 12 months. And that's exactly when they stopped. <laughs> and it, it, to me, I've never felt more, gee, man, this thing could really get out of control. We're looking at if the S people are like, well, we'll see S and P 3,200 because that's the COVID high or low or whatever they're calling it. And I'm like, man, if you, it's, Markets aren't that cute. They don't like to just go down and for the sake of going to 3,200. And so you could see some real just unintended consequences. And, and this is a really bad time to be. Or it turns out to be real. This is just the beginning. And there's already been too much money banging around out there. It's like I talked to one of my friends who has a 401k and they were like, yeah, it's down like 20% this year. But it was up 20% for the last four years. So everyone's a hell of a lot richer, or most people are the investing class, let's call it. But let's turn it over to Billy. As a retail guy, you know, what have you been doing with your stacks and cryptos <laughs> and all that? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone felt the pain point around 4,000 in the S&P. But I just want to get back to the contrarian point because the other side of the contrarian card where you say things are actually just going to go back up and rally and earnings won't be as bad as we think and stuff like that is everything gets a lot worse which you know what are the cases that would make that happen russia estonia kind of escalation you know i didn't think that russia would ever invade ukraine i was in that boat i remember we were on the phone that night the president told you yeah yeah so you should listen to the president yeah president's always right uh but you know, I, I don't think that Estonia escalation is going to happen and, and beyond that. But for a crypto case, you know, that's kind of one fear. Bitcoin's a proven constant in what it can do. But what is its use case in times of global war? Is <laughs> is I mean, if you think 20,000 seems cheap and, you know, what what happens in, in that kind of situation? So I think the uncertainty for most of retail is just really high. You can watch every episode of Fast Money and come away thinking, well, it's going to it's gonna have a little reverb to 4,100 in the S&P, and then we might revisit the COVID high, which why everyone loves COVID highs, I'm not exactly sure. But um, I'm just here thinking I want to see it prove itself, and the only thing I'm certain is that that's not going to happen. It's either going to go back up and be the roaring 20s or see something that uh, not a lot of people are expecting to the to the downside which I think net I think net roaring 20s I think I think that that's a non-zero probability I agree with everything you said Billy uh, and just to build on that I think that um, I think it's more there's just been too much money pumped in the system I mean Bitcoin didn't go to 5,000 it just had the opportunity of life it just did a big sell-off. And it had the opportunity to, to continue its decline, right? And it didn't. And to me, that's a bold, that's a buy signal. When an asset has the opportunity to fall off a map and it doesn't, that that that's that serves as a relative buy signal. Now, is it is it absolutely right here at 19? No, it could be at 10. I have no idea. But when something has gone from essentially a dollar in 2010 or whatever it was trading at. Um, to $64,000 and it retraces to 20,000 and it doesn't go back down to one, 
it's I got news for you. Your tulip mania analogies are done, right? Like tulips are still cheap. Yeah, but at the same time, if it's the one year anniversary of foot guns, you can look at, you know, one year ago, Bitcoin, right? 30,000, now we're around 20,000. There's coins like Matic that were below a dollar a year ago and they're below a dollar today. FTX was around 30 a year ago. Now it's, you know, mid 20s. So it got the shit kicked out of it. Actually, Matic is like almost exactly the same price as it was a year ago. Yeah. So it got it, it, the shit kicked out of it. I mean, it took a pause for a year. I mean, in, in terms of progress, that's not exactly a return to the stone age. So yeah. if you really do see a bear case for crypto, I don't think you've completely seen all I, of it yet. I don't, I, yeah. I just, I don't, I, I, I hear you, but I, I just, I go back to once the, it's a closed system, once the money enters, your your yellow bucks center in your Coinbase account or whatever. You only take it out if you need to pay the rent. And we just saw that happen, right? And those people, I mean, I can't imagine that there's someone who, you know, the one out of 10 people who tended to be in the lower income brackets who went out and put a decent amount of their excess capital that they had into crypto. If they hadn't withdrawn it to go pay the rent yet now, they then they're not going to do it. I think the telltale sign is Elon Musk was obsessed with uh, finding Twitter bots. What he really needs to be obsessed with is kind of putting an algorithm for lasered eye profile pictures. Because if you can correlate lasered eye profile pictures to Bitcoin price, I think you'd be on to something. Well, actually, that's a, that's a the weird thing about Bitcoin, and I don't think we've ever talked about this on the podcast. But you know, I was I was following. Um, you know, COVID cases worldwide since there was 2000 in, in Wuhan. And there was this moment, um, you know, sort of, I mean, let's, let's call it the still the midst of the Bitcoin bear market or crypto winner, people like to say, but Bitcoin was basically doing nothing. It was trading at like $6,000, $7,000. And then COVID started rising and Bitcoin's price was actually staying heavily correlated with the the number of COVID cases rising. So um yeah it's a it's a weird asset and the people that own it or buy it get fixated on different things and say oh look this is the you know so i mean maybe there's another invasion of another country and then all the bitcoin holders go oh yeah this is the thing that i needed to get me to start buying bitcoin again and you know however many deaths happen in that country i'm gonna i'm gonna buy more and more bitcoin um but yeah it's 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 strange like that what keeps working in crypto is the same thing that keeps working in TradFi, which is what was the trade in Bitcoin? Well, it, it reached an all-time high to turn around at a weird point, which happens. And by the way, things that turn around at a weird point are usually not done. Like like if something turns around at $64,000, it's usually going to make another all-time high. Like $64,000 is not on anybody's bingo card for a place for Bitcoin to crash the first time, right? And so I think that I think that that you know you get something that fails at like a big round number like a hundred or something like that. That would have been a sign maybe Bitcoin is is never going to reach a hundred again. But I think that uh, I don't know. I just I there's there's very little. Where's your? You need a marginal seller for the market to go lower, and if you keep it simple, and you say well Bitcoin you know, mega support is at 17K. Maybe I'll hold out for 17K long. Um, 
or 18 cat, whatever it was in 20, the high from 2017. If we break down below that, then I think anything could happen, but you know, I, I think there's enough buyers out there now familiar with the asset to think, Hey, this looks cheap. It's, you know, relative, but I will say this to just as a warning. And that is that we kind of emphasize as traders to, you know, buy high and sell higher, sell low and, and cover lower. And that's, that is, that is still the best way to trade. Um, there are people who are able to make it work going in and buying things on the cheap and buying low and selling high. But the reality is that things that are expensive tend to get more expensive till they don't. And things that are cheap tend to get cheaper until they don't. And a perfect case of that would be oil going negative two years ago. And now, you know, it's a hundred, well, it's 95 today, but um, everything always overshoots and things that are trending and various trends. Um, so, you know, I, that's, that's all I have to say. <laughs> Solid dad wisdom. <laughs> Don't catch a falling knife. I'm i uh, I'm seeing a, I'm seeing what looks like a, Double top on uh, the oil weekly chart. You do you, you think that? I'm not. We're we're not even. I'm not. We're not. We're just like, you know, no idea. I I think the 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 fundamental connect. Like you need two things to on the fundamentals on oil to line up to get a real sustained period of oil rally. You need both tight supply and high demand. And if you knock away any one of those pillars, so it was enough to crash oil from 104 to 45 in six months in 2014 with the oversupplied market demand. Nobody questioned demand. Um, and so right now, if oil goes to $65 a barrel, the S&P is going to be at like 3000 because that's basically the market oil and copper have traditionally been good gauges of growth health because it's what the consumer can stomach. And if you can't, if you get a period of increased gasoline prices, which by the way, gasoline is not that expensive. It was just really cheap for a long period of time. So it was really underpriced in 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, and especially 2020. So, but there again, it's the rate of change is sort of the price shock, right? Uh, but if, if, well, you know, it's just a, it's, it's conflicted. It knows there's geopolitical risk in the form of uh, a widened conflict in Ukraine. It's a non-zero probability. If you look at the actual inventories of oil, it's a very tight market compared historically um, to uh, times when it was cheaper. Um, so, if it, you know the fundamentals are there, people are now questioning the demand picture, and they're not even they're not even messing with the supply. So you need oil, and you need technicals too. But you you need you need both those things to align to to get above a hundred dollar barrel oil. And um, if both of those things aren't aligned, then I got bad news for. I mean, it's good news, bad news. It takes pressure off the consumer uh, in the form of gasoline prices. But the bad news is, is that if it turns out the consumer can't afford $4 gasoline, um, then there's very hard, you'd be hard pressed 
to make a case for growth. Let me ask you this, Boomer, Billy, I know you are in a location that is south of the Mason-Dixon line. Are either of you wearing shoes made by Crocs or Hey Dudes? Um, not only do I, neither of one is wearing shoes. Uh, so I'm that kind of stuff owner, shoeless. Um, and I've never owned a pair of Crocs. Uh, I'm generally short Crocs, except for people in the healthcare industry, because they always seem to have them on and they do good work. Um, but no, I'm, I'm Hal and I are poor ass Southerners and we don't wear shoes. So I know I mentioned my uh, VIX options thing, but I recently made an investment about 20 times larger in Crocs. Um, and my thesis is this. So one, my other favorite investing podcast besides Foot Guns right now is called Dumb Money. And they do basically the opposite of what we've been uh, talking about. They do like micro consumer trend investment stuff. And I just got back from a trip to Mississippi to visit my mom's side of the family. And every other person in the airport was wearing Crocs. And not only were they wearing Crocs, but they were wearing these uh, Crocs that were customized with these little plastic um, doodads that you can put on them. So like we could get custom foot guns, Crocs doodads. Yeah, those things, little bits of plastic are $5 each at the Crocs store. So you buy a $40 pair of Crocs, you deck it out with, you know, eight little jewel thingies. I don't know, even know what that is, but that's a, a very nice margin for them. And they bought this other shoe company called Hey Dudes, which I really had no clue what they were, but like they're, they're big in the South. So when I was on this flight to uh, Texas where we were connecting, you know, like there's a certain kind of guy that wears Hey Dudes, kind of like a like a Bass Pro Shops uh, kind of guy, like uh, maybe into hunting or like kind of like a Southern Trumpy kind of guy. And they were they were everywhere. So I don't know. I'm always trying. I'm, I'm trying to. Uh, so I live in, in uh, the north, but I'm trying to trying to confirm this Hey Dudes thesis. Do you have you either of you heard of them or uh, see them around more? No, but I will say this. If, if, you, if everyone's wearing something, they've already bought them. So in terms of, a, I mean, they may do great EPS and all that other kind of stuff, but if you, if, if a trend, if a trend, and if you're doing what we call uh, boots on the ground due diligence on companies, like I have several uncles who are like, and I bought this iron and it was the best iron I ever used. And it was called Convey or something. I bought the stock and it went up three times or I mean, if you're doing that, that kind of like investing and it's something I've been toying with too, is like, uh, I've been looking at traffic counts in national parks and they're down most, of, most across the country. At the same time, airports are jammed up. So are the people in airports, the people who went to national parks during height of COVID, have they just switched migratory patterns, so to speak? Or is there something really going on with the price of gasoline, which means you know, you should really consider shorting gasoline at some point or just at least staying away from a long. I mean, we were looking at our, just as a trading reminder, we were looking at our, our P&L today and our best trade was a loss. Uh, and it was a loss because we had, we have a certain trading style where we have forced buying around certain events. 
So if oil goes to $100, we just buy it because most of the time it dings off oil 100 or if it's the range is, you know, between 60 and 80, we buy it at 60, you know, whatever it is. And we quickly realized we were wrong about that and lost 500 bucks. I mean, if, if, if you're not a good trader and you're upside down and oil goes down another $5, just one contract alone is $5,000, let alone the 10 contracts we were playing with. So, you know, we turned some of the best trades you make are the ones that are just small losses. Like, I, I, you know, we made a bunch of money in stock indices futures today and um, it was a good trade and it made you feel good and all that kind of stuff. But just barely losing a little bit on something that had the capacity to, I mean, if you were wrong about, if you stuck to your long oil view um, at say 110 or whatever, and at some degree of leverage, let's call it four times leverage, you no longer have an account, Right. And so I would I would also just point that as a it's the first anniversary of foot guns or whatever. Some of the best trades you ever make are losses. And it's controlling those losses and keeping yourself away from risk of ruin. And uh never forget that. Sabi, I w I wouldn't leverage myself too strongly onto Crocs, but I'll give you a case study that my, my girlfriend's mom just bought me a pair mainly because I hate the idea of getting a tan line associated with Crocs. But those charms, uh, when I was in high school in Boulder, Colorado, a family invented those and they were selling them just like outside of the grocery stores and whatnot, ended up being kind of a Shark Tank type business that two years later they sold the Crocs for $10 million or something like that. I remember seeing them in the newspaper. So uh, it's good to see that they're uh, making a healthy margin on top of a once thriving family yeah. family business. And look, right now with the earnings scares and everything, that may be enough to make your croc stock double is the fact that they just have good earnings. I'm just saying typically when and you see this in crypto, right? Like the the once these things launch or whatever, the trade kind of gets away from you. Once once people become aware of Luna, it's really at six, even though it went to zero or whatever, there's plenty of time for you to trade it. It Luna at six, you feel like the trade's getting away from you. Um, and so, you know, it might not be a bad defensive strategy in this kind of earnings panic. Um, things that are just making money may just go up because, but we went, I, I, I'm dead. So I, I, I hear you on it, but I would just caution against sort of on the ground observations. It's just like yard signs and political campaigns don't equal votes unless they're in people's yards. So you can go put up all these yard signs and make yourself look like you're winning um, in thoroughfare, you know, common areas. And, yeah, I actually, uh, uh, I, I, I uh, <laughs> funded and helped support a campaign in California that won without using any yard signs or um, flyers. And I went in front of a group of uh, some pretty angry old uh, white men and defended this view for this person that was running and they just absolutely hated the the idea. But, you know, I just showed them that, you know, the t and it, there's actually a Stanford study about it that, um, you know, shows, because you have to think about it, right? Like when's the last time you changed your vote when you were driving down the street and you saw a yard sign, right? And you're like, you know what? 
I'm going to vote for that guy <laughs> instead of the guy I was, I was voting for. It's, it's, it's a very small percentage of people that actually um, have that response. Right. So that, that's the only caution I would give on, on boots on the ground investing, but I wish you obviously the best of luck and, and, and hope you win your, your Crocs bet. I think Crocs have been sort of a sign of shame in the circles that I run in, but um, <laughs> you know, Birkenstocks are back. I mean, the last time I saw them was in 1994. I, I, apparently, they've been back for a number of years, and I see them occasionally on some younger folks. But they went away for 20 years. Lacoste shirts, little alligator shirts, went away for 20 years and came back at $85 a shirt. And they tore it up. Um, you know, retail fads um, are, boy, if you can catch them right. But that is considered, I know from private equity that, that retail private equity is considered the brain surgery of private equity. Um, it's because it's so hard to put leverage on a brand because your brand can fall out of favor. I haven't seen a North Face jacket in 10 years. I saw nothing but North Face jackets in the 1990s. Like you had to have one. I still have my little frat vest, my Denali frat vest. Um, and everyone had a Denali North Face fleece or you were a loser. And I haven't seen one in two decades. I, I do. Okay. So since, you know, this is one year anniversary, I do have to say there's, you know, whatever they say, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes or whatever. Well, you know, Bitcoin did make its local bottom just after we launched foot guns a year ago. Um, the other thing that's going on right now is that for whatever reason, with all the sell off, um, Matic is holding up extremely well relative to other cryptos. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's just, uh, I, I, you know, and, and what did happen is, is, um, uh, Bitcoin went down and made another low and it, it recovered quickly. I, th- I think that's the thing that I'm waiting for is like, I just want to see this thing sell off and then come back up to the price that it sold off to like within the same day. And that just hasn't happened in, in, in a long time. I mean, at least for seven months now for Bitcoin. Yeah. Speaking of Den- uh, Denali, Vili summited Denali on May something. And so we're super proud of him. He climbed the highest peak in the uh, North America. And it kind of was a little bit of a wimp by skiing down it, but, but he got to the top of it and Way to go, Billy. Thank you. And to your case study, I used no North Face gear there for the summit. Not even the did not. Were you wearing, were you wearing Crocs, though? <laughs> <laughs> I actually think I wore my Crocs to the uh, Bush Plane Airport. So at some point in the trip, maybe. Were your girlfriend shamed into wearing them? There you go. <laughs> Do you like them? I mean, are, are they comfy or? They, yeah, they're 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 nice when you have really sweaty feet and you don't you want to be in anything but mountaineering boots. Right, right. But I would figure, you know, I'm just a flip flops guy at heart, you know, not Jesus style, just between the toes. And um, they've always worked for me. I hiked 400 miles and nothing but flip flops. Um, you do have a nickname, a boomer, though. So catching on to the new footwear trends. <laughs> Might yeah, not be your I'm staple. Literally the youngest year of Gen X. I hate this. <laughs> Get, the one, can I have a one-year anniversary present of no longer being called Boomer? No, I know branding, blah 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 blah. But I just hate Boomer so much, and I'm such a fan of Gen Z. And 
Um, but like, look at every problem in the world that was Boomer created. Like every every single problem. And um, I'm very hopeful about. I, I've actually really done an about face when Gen Z hit the market. I was just like, these kids were born with iPhones in their hands and their Instagram slides and not the that that's not gendered. I mean that they're all sluts for Instagram, boys and girls and all that. So, uh, but their appearance concern and all that other kind of stuff. But I, I think they're maybe the finest generation we've had in a long time. And the Gen Z, well, we talked about this and it got deleted out. That's right. I killed Zencaster when I called for, a, uh, an age-based genocide of Gen Z and Gen X rising together and killing all the boomers and millennials. Um, so, I guess it'll get deleted out again this time too. Well, as we uh, bring this into for landing, I know we're <laughs> supposed to uh, we're supposed to announce how the uh, what is it one year anniversary sale. I'm going to throw in a sweetener. If if we get I don't know how many would be a good number of subscribers to get. If we get a good number of subscribers, I will make some custom Crocs doodads with our logo on it and send them out, and I will mail them using my stamps.com account yeah, to. A reasonably let's go with, uh, distant. Let's go with twenty-five, and uh, we might need to put this earlier in the podcast, right? Whoever I have, a, yeah. And I mean, I guess if uh, if we get like what ten comments on the on the podcast, uh, we could do it as well. Anybody that's made it this far, <laughs> yeah. Congratulations on making this far. You've heard calls for genocide. Um, so greatest hits from Footguns uh, Year End. Um, Definitely, it's been our sponsorship from Fast Pro Shops. Has uh, paid us yeah, a that lot was, of money. That was the highlight of the year for me, at least. Critical, critical. A lot, of, a lot of good friends we've made along the way. And if you're a premium subscriber, you have access to the Spacing Guild, part of the Discord, where we talk about all things finance and not share trades of what we're doing on the TradFi side. And we talk about just all things in general and uh, made a lot of good friends along the way. Special shouts out to at newbie, our foot guns intern um, and hash error and Andy Rue and um, foot guns, granny. Uh, and um, you know, um, crypto buddy. And came on this podcast, and um, yeah, thanks for supporting us and and really give us thought to the. Uh, it's just a different experience if you have access to that to that Discord. You get you get a lot of uh, insightful trading tips on not only not only things to trade but how to be a trader. And um, you get the premium podcast, which is using me and Hal just talking about the ins and outs of, of trading, um, which is. And um, I'm about to I'm about to have made 365 cheat sheets um, over the last year. And I, I do have to say um, uh, the ch- the cheat sheets have just been spot on, like outside of everything else that we've talked about and stuff. I mean, you can just go back through them and and it's pretty incredible how well they've tracked everything from once we added oil, gold, you know, all the different altcoins, Bitcoin, ES, um, NASDAQ. Um, it's a pretty, it's a pretty nice resource and it takes what, like 30 seconds to check it out in the morning and then 
give you an idea of, of where the day might go. Yeah, these it's it's an it's an undersold um, thing in our in our we 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 probably things to improve on. I mean, this isn't like a group meeting or whatever, but we're bad at self promotion. We're the worst at self promotion. Those guys on every literally every other podcast, or they always remind people to click like and subscribe on the Apple Podcast Store. We never have done that ever once, have we? I don't think we have. I think like a couple times we remembered to do it, yeah, but basically no. Yeah, so I mean, we're the least. I I, I like to, I think we deserve the least shilling investment podcasts in the history of mankind. Like I, we have shat on everyone. We have shat on ourselves. We have we have you know. We just won't talk bad about Bass Pro Shops. <laughs> If you can handle that, it's the only thing we're contractually obligated not to talk about in a right. bad way. So, so if you, but but I mean, I mean, we've never been afraid to shy away from um, some pretty thoughtful, thought-provoking conversations. I mean, I, I, I think the you know those podcasts. If you're just joining this new, go back listen to talking about Ethereum and whether its use case is sort of real. And I was pretty critical of that. And um, I've been harping on Ethereum as being the phone that didn't charge and is really good at losing money and it's done a good job of that um <laughs> dunk everyone hates me now right because like everyone listening to this is long ethereum um yeah you may want to edit this out i don't know whatever i'm so no, sorry i'll just say I, I, I say keep it I'll in. Just say for my part like you know i what i think is unique about foot guns is kind of our mix of between when it's just it's just us and we're kind of like laid back and just talking shit. And then we have on these really smart guests and that's kind of like my resolution for the next year is to really double down on getting more guests and more diverse guests. Like I'm interested in moving outside of just crypto. Like we have the, you know, trad stuff. I'm interested in learning more about macro energy, nuclear, natural gas, all the stuff that we talk about tangentially on foot guns, but really digging in to try to bring some more uh, experts, no offense, Boomer, in, in uh, various uh, <laughs> various no, specialty no, trap by niches. Like I want to learn about the LNG situation that's going to be unfolding over the over the winter. I want to know about nuclear. I want to uh, show my uh, BWX Technologies bags. Uh, I want to talk about Crocs more. I want to get, get more guests and, uh, and take it to the next level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and sure. and and just just really quickly, our um, I mean, our guests were pretty pretty outstanding. I have to say, I mean, we have you know one of the largest holders of MT Gox Bitcoin um, claims that is now becoming part of the news again and relevant. Um, you know, we had this absolute genius on from uh, you know a, a professor talking about what he's going to be building Panoptic. on top of Uniswap, and then uh, yeah, the Panoptic protocol, and then. Um, uh, you know, we had these MA guys, which were great. We had DeFi developers, we had NFT, um, you know, whales or whatever you want to call them. Um, and you know, we had we had Olympus Dow on back before, um, you know, really they they took off. Um, and yeah, and then you know, uh, JVL, um, 
you know, an actual journalist to talk to us about crypto. Um, yeah, it's been it's been pretty great. And considering the fact that we don't have anyone that we're paying to go find these people for us, we're just we're just getting them organically and uh, through through you know our own work and and people that we meet. NFTs reminds me to give a shout out to uh, Slim Jimmy Four Twenty. He definitely like brings yeah, yeah. so much, so much perspective. I mean, NFTs are not my thing. I don't know why they don't take credit cards. Um, but um, the uh, you know that's one of the things about foot guns is that people come in and ask questions, and everybody's happy to answer. So like if you're a noob um, to any of this stuff, everybody's happy to answer. And you know, I guarantee if it's an NFT project, Slim Jimmy's got it covered. Like all you have to do is ask. And he'll tell you exactly, you know, what it is. So um, it's a great community. I've had a lot of fun. Here's to another year of success, boys. Sign up for the paid version. It helps pay our interns. We all have other day jobs. It's not like we're trying to get rich off of this. So congratulations on one year. This is Boomer signing out. And we'll be back later this week. And we'll do it all over again. Cheers, guys. Cheers.